0: This is Patrick Daly, and welcome to Interlinks. Interlinks is a program about connections, international business, supply chains, and globalization, and their effects on our life, our work, and our travel over recent times. Today on the show, we'll be talking to Fred Laluyo, President and CEO of ERA Technology. ERA Technology is a Silicon Valley-based decision intelligence company. Um, the company's ERA Decision Cloud integrates within existing systems and data sources to help business with technology-enhanced decision-making in real time and at scale so that they can achieve sustainability, effectiveness and efficiency in the context of the high degree of complexity in their supply chains. So welcome, Fred, again, and thank you very much for being here with us today and this time in person right here in Dublin.
1: I know. Thank you very much for having me. Glad to be here.
0: So Fred, what actually brings it to Dublin then? Is, is Ireland an important place for your technologies, international business?
1: It's becoming a more and more important place. I remember I was here a few years back doing a conference um uh, in Dublin, but now we're visiting customers and prospects. So um some large international companies have their, uh, some of their operations here um, or some local companies. So we're doing a a busy visit of uh, prospects and customers.
0: Excellent. So uh, we were we were just checking uh, before when we spoke previously. So it was in September 2022, and if people are interested in that, so we spoke more about um, what decision intelligence is. We spoke quite a bit about the technical side of mm-hmm. um, how it works, and, and that interview mm-hmm. is is uh, in the archives. Back sixth of September 2022. It's called Decision Intelligence. Uh, if anybody is interested in going back to that. But um, can you remind our, our audience maybe briefly what decision intelligence is and why companies and their supply chain teams need it?
1: Yeah, sure. Um, maybe I'll start by the why, and then I'll say what it is. Um, the context around decision intelligence is the uh, augmentation of the business cycles combined with the consumerization of our economy, where decisions have to be made at a very low level of detail and granularity, with the increase in the complexity in decision making, and this is all driven by digitization. So, digitization drives acceleration, decision at lower acceleration of the cycle, decision at lower level of impact and complexity, and and that creates a, a dramatic increase in the volume and the complexity of decisions that enterprises have to make in general. Why supply chain and why supply chain professionals looking at decision uh, intelligence is because one of the areas of the enterprise that's the most impacted by this acceleration, by the consumerization, by this increasing complexity is supply chain. And the answer is decision intelligence, which is the digitization, the automation, and the augmentation of decision making. Think about all the decisions that a planner in supply chain or logistician is going to receive, going to make on a daily basis to, to make the, the the supply chain run flawlessly. Well, a lot of this work can be done digitally, allowing the operators to actually focus on the, the corner cases, the complex use case that, uh, or these decisions that they have to make but a majority of the work can be digitized. And that's what decision intelligence is all about.
0: Okay. And are we talking about uh, frontline operational decisions that need to be made quickly, or are we also talking about business decisions that are kind of more strategic in nature?
1: So um, IDC came up with a very interesting uh, set of metrics, and uh, they're looking at 65% of decisions that what they call scenario decisions that have to be made um, within hours. And they correlate that to the fact that 75% of enterprise data is obsolete within hours. So, um, you know, you have your, you have your the data that basically helps you, the decisions are that you make to design your network. Those are slow decisions that require a lot of what if analysis. They are the decisions that scenario decisions that, as I said, have to be made within the day. And then you have the real time decisions. And I'll talk about that in a second. So uh the The bulk of the augmentation of decision making is in the later two categories. you don't redesign your network every day, and this is where uh decision intelligence is very critical. The second element to that is when we engage with a client um we'll look at the decisions that they're currently making, but maybe not fast enough, maybe not accurately enough, maybe not at the right level of granularity leading to i don't know uh, an available to promise date that's not accurate enough and 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 leading customers to cancel the orders. I can go through many, many examples. So first category, decisions that you currently make, not well enough, not fast enough, not accurately enough. But in this digital world, there is a lot of the new types of decisions that have to be made. I'll give you an example. If you're a consumer packaged good company, um, now more than 50% of your media spend is digital, right? You're creating hundreds of thousands of digital assets And those are campaigns that you will find promoting a bottle of soda or shampoo on TikTok, on Facebook, on uh, the different digital media. There's now technology to analyze the performance of that campaign. And you can now correlate the performance of a digital media campaign with the ability of the product on the shelves, in the store, or at the distribution center where the campaign is having an impact. And now you can actually inform the need to increase or decrease the the volume of the campaigns that you're making, or you can actually decide to reassign or to rush inventory down to the point of sale. This decision didn't exist five years ago. It exists today. And it's impossible for human operators to actually cope with the volume and the speed. So just to summarize, two types of decisions that are going really fast. The decision that you're currently making, as you've historically been making, planning, execution, optimization, but these new types of decisions that are literally born in the digital world and executed in the digital world.
0: Interesting. So And it's a fast-moving uh, area because we go back to uh, 2017, maybe era technology was an early innovator yeah. at a time when this category, this market category probably didn't even have a name, Decision Intelligence, um, and it wasn't particularly defined. And and that has changed quite quickly as awareness has increased and worldwide brands are now prioritizing Decision Intelligence in their own digital transformation journeys. So what are you seeing now uh, and what has surprised you in the shift over the last, say, six, seven years?
1: So you're absolutely right. When we started, ERA, and we talked about, I'll give you a fun analogy and a full anecdote, I should say. Um, when we started, June 19, 2017, I posted a blog, launching blog, saying, welcome to the self-driving enterprise. And the first image on that short paper, I think you can still find it online, um, but uh, maybe it was ink.com, I don't know. Um, It says, welcome to the self-driving enterprise, and it starts with the image of a self-driving car. And it says, this is a self-driving car, and what it will be is able to run autonomously without a driver, blah, blah, blah. And then the next chapter was this is a self-driving enterprise, and the self-driving enterprise will be able to run and make decisions at scale completely autonomously, learn from them, and get more accurate over time. Um, Just about the time where era technology was able to really fully execute on the vision of the self-service supply chain and self-service enterprise uh, with some of the world's largest companies, which basically nine months ago or a year ago, you started seeing in San Francisco, where we based, autonomous vehicles driving the streets with no one in them. And I remember doing my first video. They started during the night, between 10 p.m. and 5 a.m., they started picking up passengers. And now you have 1,500, I believe, cars driving the city. I can show you a video later, completely with no one in them. And it's interesting because I built that analogy between the self-driving enterprise and the self-driving car. And you had to wait six years, basically, I'm not t- negotiating the months here, but in six-year window, this massive investment in technology enabled the self-driving cars to become reality in our city. And at the same time, the self-driving technology became a reality. So six years seems like a very long time, but it's not. Mm. It's been a six years of investment. What's remarkable is six months ago. It's the acceleration that we're seeing in the last six months. Um, We went from... Engaging with large enterprises in uh, having to explain what decision intelligence is to, as I like to say, what it is and why do you need it, to now organizations telling us, yeah, we got this. We know what it is. Tell us what you can do to help us deploy it now and very fast. And and that inflection point has been hit about six months ago. And you can see it with adoption. You can see it with competitive landscape I think Gartner says in their recent study that by 2026, which is tomorrow, 75% of Fortune 500 will have been deployed decision intelligence as a competitive weapon. 75% within three years. That's remarkably fast. Um, But like everything in our nowadays, right? You know, a new trend, whether it's enterprise or fashion or music, whatever, it it deploys really, really fast around the world. That's one aspect. Sorry, just to finish. The other aspect is the globalize, the globalization of that trend. It used to be, I've been in the enterprise software and, and, and performance management for a long time. Used to be that it would start, you know, in some industry, in some pockets in the US and, and in part of Europe. The adoption of decision intelligence is global. It's not limited to a few countries. So that's another thing that we haven't seen before is this trend now. I can explain it. I think I have an explanation, but this trend is becoming global very fast.
0: Okay. You remember, you may remember the last time we spoke about perhaps a gap opening up between those companies. So maybe the 75% of Fortune 500 uh, companies who get this and and are on board and the others uh, getting getting left behind. So what challenges remain in terms of awareness and adoption out there among the wider demographic of companies?
1: I'm more exposed to those who know what it is and want it than to those who are not. I'll tell you the type of companies that are basically not interested or not showing a big sign of interest are um companies who are um we don't really need to improve their the the way they perform um in their supply chain or so some companies that we've we've been exposed to that are Um, in the the luxury good industry that are like, hey, we like to think through, we like scarcity, we're managing that. We're all about building very big brands and and delivering an experience which may actually be sometimes based on scarcity, which is very different than if you're a uh, FMCG brand who is shipping, you know, and serving billions of consumers every day. So I think the companies that are more interested by decision intelligence, they are... The ones that are high volume, high velocity, the ones who are less interested are probably the ones who are slower, uh, slower uh, actor in the market. Um, but I think today the market is is fueled by two things. The first is the element that I described earlier, which is the impact of digital in in the economy is driving necessarily the adoption of decision intelligence. I call that the undercurrent. Right, this is something that's not going to stop, but there's an undercurrent of of change that's fueled by digitization. Now there's also a tidal wave that's coming. The tidal wave is what's been more visible in the last few months, which is a lot of our customers have had growth fueled by either COVID or inflation. And most of the companies we meet today in our industries that are captive for for decision intelligence are saying, we need efficiencies. And the volumes are not growing, uh, but the price has been going up, so we look good. But they know that there is a risk that this phenomena is going to start coming to the end in the next six to nine months and there is a rush toward efficiencies because as i said the growth has not been fueled by volume or it's been artificially fueled by if you're in selling you know computer equipment coming that's very nice to you but that's over mm-hmm. so so there is there is a I feel like we're back in, uh, in 20 years ago when companies were like, we need to be careful to reduce cost. And the next wave of efficiency cannot be yet another reward, another data lake, another planning tool. It has to be something different because people are maxed out. Business operators are maxed out. They can't do more. So how do you get to the next level of efficiency? You have to try something radically different.
0: And are the initiatives, are they coming from CTOs, CFOs, CEOs? Or- all of the above?
1: It's really all of the above. Um, it's we, We're engaging a lot with the chief supply chain officers, and they all have people in charge of digital transformation of their supply chain. We're engaging a lot with CDOs. We're engaging a lot with CIOs. We're engaging more and more with CFOs. Um, and, and the reason why is... There, we're engaging with CFOs, they're the ones that maybe have been asked to drive that, you know, uh, optimization. Uh, they
0: can see the numbers. <laughs>
1: efficiency play. Yeah. They're the only efficiency play. And a lot of these efficiencies sit at the intersection of the different functions of a company. You may have streamlined, you know, your, your, your supply chain, but within the supply chain, there's still silos. But the example I gave you earlier that connects, you know, media spend to supply or connects your supply chain to to your finance or to your procurement. This is where you find the biggest gaps. Mm. And this is usually where a global function, be IT, digital, or finance, has has a say and has a play.
0: Okay. And how would you describe the the era uh, decision cloud platform and what sets it apart in terms of improving and automating decision-making?
1: So we're talking about something that's not been done before. digitizing. Um, tasks and processes is a known practice called RPA, and that's nothing. There's nothing new there. It's been it's been deployed by most companies for the last few years. But in the case of decision intelligence, we're talking about digitizing decisions. We're talking about changing the work, the work. Oh, excuse me, changing the way the work is getting done, and that opens a whole new uh, set of possibilities. Um, it's a very fluid world, right? So the way you make decisions is something that evolves all the time. So we designed our platform to enable our customers to actually, quote, quote, safely go from manual to semi-automated to fully automated decision-making. And we're giving them the ability in our platform to um, scale. So a lot of clients have tried and have done some sorts of decision intelligence in a given process, in a given market, but they've hard-coded that capability. And when it comes to either modifying it because the way you think is evolving or rolling it out on a global scale, they need a platform. So that's what AI Decision Cloud is, is the platform that enables you to start and scale decision intelligence um, in a way that's quote, unquote safe. By safe, I mean, I'm going back to the self-driving car. We use that a lot today. But if you're going into self-driving car, you need to ability to actually put your hands back on the wheel whenever you want to. And if you think about deploying this kind of technology that connects the digital brains to your nervous system, to take action, decision intelligence takes action, you need to be able to control what the brain is doing. You need to make sure that the connection is happening in real time, and you need to, at any point in time, you need to be able to actually put your hands back on it. And that's what the ERA is of our
0: of. And how has uh, ChatGPT and the popularity of AI-enabled technology changed or influenced the work you're doing now?
1: So, it's a really good question. My answer might be a bit controversial. Everybody's asking us the question. Um, when we launched ERA seven years back, or six and a half years back, we launched ERA as a digital agent. ERA is literally called ERA, four letters, like Siri, right? Just by design. We wanted ERA to be a digital agent. And ERA has a voice, ERA speaks on your phone, ERA can engage with you proactively. And if you look at our website, it's all about an an ERA engine says, L-O-M ERA, I'm engaging with you. So for us, we see the chat GPT as a a nice way to help kind of develop that vision, but we have built our technology as a digital agent that does the work for you, that learns with you, that automates some of your work at the the personal level at work. so I think this. When people have been looking at this technology, sometimes with a bit of disbelief, and now that ChatGPT is out there, I think folks were like, "Yeah, that's not possible." What Harris says, they can't do it, or they can't do it at scale. Suddenly, that CEO goes and says, "Well, I, I think it's possible." So even though our credibility has got nothing to do with ChatGPT, I think it helps open up a little bit the mindset that if this is possible to get my as a CEO, I get my speech ready. Uh, Using chat GPT, I do believe my CDO or my head of supply chain would tell me that we can deploy a digital brain to actually make the supply chain decision. Even though the two technologies are very different, I think it helps with the enterprise psyche, so to speak. People are a little bit more open to it. Um, However, having said that, um, leveraging those uh, uh, generative AI technologies um, in what we do is also very, very interesting. uh, and, And we're doing that.
0: Okay. Last year in June, I think it was, I was at an event in Amsterdam and some of your people there with uh, were there with one of your customers um, setting out a, a success uh, story. So, are there any customer su- success stories that you'd be able to share with us today?
1: So, I can share the success. we were super, super careful with yeah, not sure. talking about what our clients are doing with the platform. However, uh, I can share some of the stories that our clients are sharing themselves. Which one was it? Unif- uh, Unilever? Unilever, Yeah, it's a good example. So Unilever has been publicly talking about what they're doing with uh, with ERA, so I can mention a few things. Um, I-, I will tell you, and we recently had, uh, there was a very interesting article uh, with uh, Will Beery, the CIO of Mars, so I can talk a little bit about that, and Leclerc uh, Proximo and... Uh, Colgate was on stage with us and Exxon. So I can talk a little bit about that. But I'll, I'll go back to Unilever because it's uh, one of the most advanced companies in terms of uh, decision intelligence. Um, and I'm being very careful not to say things that they haven't said. But I think Juan Carlos Parada was running the program for Unilever talked about the fact that last year, so I'm talking 2022, we're in 2023 now, um, ERA delivered 1.6 million recommendations to Unilever's businesses. this year. There is going to be a, a magnitude more. So we're looking at 10 million recommendations. Uh, there are 16 skills, which is basically areas of decision-making that have been deployed that are alive uh, at Unilever. Unilever is looking at deploying uh, this kind of technology to do things like uh, a daily forecast at the skew location, skew location level on a daily basis. You keep using sell-out data from from uh, their their retail uh, uh providers. So they're taking that very taking it very, very far. Um, we're, we're seeing customers, um, and maybe I can talk about the, the the not the specific points, but what we're seeing across our customers is adoptions by the end users is very strong. So you could think about oh wow the end users are going to be threatened by technology like this and it's not the case. I think there's an executive buying as we, talk, we talked about earlier. Um, but the end users are seeing the technology coming as a relief because they know um, that they don't have the time to do the work that they're supposed to do. And that this roller coaster of a uh, of, of, uh, wave of, of decision that's hitting them uh, is not going away. And um, and they, their adoption across all these companies is pretty soon. So... Um, I think Mars was talking about ninety-eight percent adoption uh, of the of the recommendations, right? Automatic adoption of the recommendations. Those are very very strong numbers. Okay.
0: So we might, uh, as we come into the last few minutes of the interview, maybe change tack uh, slightly. Oh, so I, worry, I might I might ask you one or two uh, probing probing questions. So, um, so you're, you're a successful uh, person. Um, but as we know, success is not a straight line and everybody faces setbacks in their career and their life. So how do you approach uh, setbacks and what do you do? What do you think? What do you say to yourself to get yourself back on track?
1: Well, I've had my share of setbacks. Um, but I think you have to ask yourself why you put yourself in the position of potentially experiencing a setback in the first place. What's your motivation? Um, If you're driven by um, a deep belief that what you're working on can help change the world, which is my case, I believe for many, many years that the kind of technology that we're building will fundamentally, if you think at a very high level, what the technology does, it enables companies to reduce inefficiencies, as a result, reduce waste as a result, optimize their, their carbon footprint and all this kind of uh, uh, measures uh, that allow you to assess whether you're doing the right thing or not. Um, then you're kind of okay with the setback because you know why, you know, you know what you're doing is very difficult. You know that it's very risky and and you're gonna just um, you know continue. So setbacks, COVID was a massive setback for us. It was very difficult to continue to build a company, to keep the team together to take care of your customers at a time where the market says, hey, come back later, because right now decision intelligence is not my priority. But you stay the course because you know that there is a greater goal and a bigger ambition uh, than just, you know, growing 10% a year or 50% or 100% a year. So I think, um, I guess I'm talking more about the motivation versus the setbacks. Uh, but if you if you know why you're doing something, it's much easier to digest the setbacks than if you kind of lost your way. So, my, my advice to entrepreneurs is always, like, figure out, do you truly believe in what you do, in the value of what you do? And then if you do, then you're going to have the resilience and the grit that allows you to, to persevere.
0: And talking of COVID, has the experience of the last two or three years changed, refined or reinforced any of your own personal views, beliefs about work, about life, about business?
1: Of course, Um I think there was there's been there's been a combination. I live in the United States. I think in the, the, the year 2020, there was just there was COVID, and there was more than COVID. We went through a um, a, a, a set of, of profound change in society that that were just like quite extreme, right? We had. Uh, we had uh, COVID, we had the Black Lifeline Matter, we had had January 6th, of of (laughs) course. All of that came at the same time and and forced you to reconsider like, why am I doing what I'm doing? Uh, So back to my previous point, you have to really anchor yourself because everything became so hard that if you're not solidly anchored in your belief and on the ambition of what you do being something else than just feel good about yourself, uh, that's one The second thing is, as a CEO and as an entrepreneur, I think um, I spent more time during COVID worrying and taking care about the well-being of of the team and of our customers than I did before. Not that I didn't do anything before, but it became a core core dimension. And and as a a father, as as a friend, as a CEO, I think it taught me to be a lot more open and talk about my vulnerabilities a lot more openly than this robotic CEO was trying to show the alpha part of it. So I think during COVID, you realize at some point that we all, quote, quote, I'm not sure it's the right word, but naked in front of that, that threat. And that the only way you can actually help people is by expressing kind of internally inside your community, your company, expressing your vulnerability. And when people felt that, I think it was helpful. So yeah, I think it changed that dynamic a little bit, mm. uh, bring the ties together, um, and and taught me that it was okay to be more vulnerable. Whereas before that, probably didn't realize it was okay to be that
0: way. Yeah, interesting. Thanks, thanks for sharing that. So, uh, what's next for Era? What does the future of decision making look like to you, your team, and your customers?
1: Well, I think the. When you build a company like, like Era, you go through multiple phases of doubt and excitement and doubt and excitement. Is it going to work? Not going to work. Look at this customer is doing it. Oh, this one is not doing it. Um, we moved in the last six months, since the beginning of the year, into a new phase. I talked about the, the undercurrent combining with the tidal wave. I think we're moving from the what is it, why do we need it, to how do we do it? So for us right now, it's kind of fun. Uh, it's, it's enjoying... That moment where your technology has matured meets the market. The market wants your technology. It's faster, and it's an inflection point. So it's a uh, it's a city a day. It's uh, five six meetings a day. But this is fun. This is the part that I feel like uh, you know you were you work really really hard to get to that point, and now now it's really intense. Uh, scaling is very difficult. Getting funding is complicated in this in this uh, era of. Uh, you know craziness in the financial markets but but it's it's a fun phase for us and i think we all are enjoying it with our partners and with our customers
0: well excellent uh welcome to to dublin Uh, thank you you for being here and hopefully you'll come back and see us again in the not too distant future so many thanks fred uh it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you here today
1: thank you so much for having me
0: And thanks also to our listeners for tuning in again today. And be aware that if you enjoyed this episode, you can find a full series of over 130 episodes of Interlinks on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Acast and other major podcast platforms. So until next time, keep well and stay safe.